0: This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 66. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy hey thanks for tuning in it feels good to do the positive psychology podcast in english i actually just started doing a podcast in german which is also about positive psychology it's like the little brother of it and it's still as weird as it sounds although i grew up speaking german it's just strange to do so so i'm happy to be back to english for now and today we're going to talk about convenience and consumerism. Now, don't worry, it's not going to be a 30 minutes 30 minutes of, you know, com- communist ramblings or anything like that. Instead, I just want to share a bit about the role of convenience and comfort in our happiness. Why is it important? Well, it's important because the importance we assign to comfort and convenience can be a major happiness and meaning stumbling block. So, the convenience section of this podcast is based on a book called The Upside of Your Dark Side by Robert Biswastiner and Todd Kashdan. The promise of convenience is that we will have more comfort, more time, and energy to do the things that matter. That's basically how pretty much everything is advertised. But the more but more often than not, sorry, more often than not, we fill that time with even more convenience products and comfort-seeking behaviors. So convenience products make us seek comfort in an ever-increasing number, which in turn lowers our tolerance to discomfort. The more alike your culture is to that of the USA, the more likely this is to be to be what's happening. So If you're, you know, in England or Canada and even certain parts of Western Europe, it's more likely that this is happening in your country, too. In Asian countries, on the other hand, this is way less the case. I can't really comment on African countries because I have absolutely no expertise in them. But that's basically what's happening. Now, the German philosopher Hegel, who lived from 1770 until 1831 he already kind of noticed the problem with comfort. And the problem with comfort is that it's limitless. We're so enamored with the feelings we get when something is easy and comfortable that instead of moving on to things that matter more we just move on to this to making everything in life more easy and comfortable and th- there is no end to this like if you think about it and i include myself as well in this i'm i'm you know i'm not proud to say this but like you know if you press a button on a website and it doesn't you know immediately do what you want you feel irritated and and actually if you think about it what is that like that irritation is just it's just kind of out of place isn't it compared to why people got irritated because, you know, why we get irritated is because things is, stuff is between us and our happiness. And I mean, it's not between us and our happiness if a site doesn't load in like one and a half seconds, but there you go. Now, the idea that we are enough and have enough is pretty counterculture. Convenience speeds life up, which in turn increases energy consumption and interest, interestingly, as far A fast-paced life leads to less achievement and money-saving. The money-saving is not that surprising, but isn't it interesting that the faster a pace gets in a place, and they can measure this by measuring, for example, how fast people walk, how many words they use per second, and stuff like that. And interestingly, we're always taught that fast is better, right? That was also the topic of the no-need-for-speed episode. But interestingly, that's not what's happening. Comfort and anxiety seem to colorate, correlate with... Which means... Bah, can you see that my tongue is twisted and I'm not used to doing this in English anymore? Oh man. All right, anyway. Again. Comfort and anxiety seem to correlate, which means our psychological health declines. And that's interesting. We would think, oh, we we seek comfort so we can feel better, but actually... We're making ourselves sicker because we're getting ever more spoiled and spoiled. Now, reaching our full potential requires us to be able to tolerate the whole range of human emotions. This includes negative emotion, emotions such as boredom. Higher level of comfort leads a higher level of comfort leads to more cluelessness about how to process discomfort. And that's you know that's what we can see today. We have been trained to immediately distract ourselves from discomfort. It leads to what is known as experiential avoidance, which means that we go to great lengths to avoid and suppress undesirable thoughts and feelings. This can be so exhausting that we have very little energy left for participating in life. People typically go to great lengths to avoid doubt, boredom, uncertainty, and other negative emotions. And the problem with that is that all of these emotions inc- are increased with avoidance. So the more I run from boredom, the more easily bored I will become. The more activities we avoid, the more they scare us. And the prime strategy people use to distract themselves is to watch TV, to drink, um, other substance uh, abuse, and of course shopping, which you know nicely feeds into this whole cycle. However, I want to make it clear that this doesn't mean that every time you watch TV you're running away from stuff. That doesn't mean that at all. I mean, it's perfectly possible that you have a movie or a show or something that you really love to watch and you genuinely enjoy. That's not what this is about. It's not about ruining, you know, your, you know, if you enjoy a little bit of beer or something. That doesn't mean to ruin that. It's really about once we start using these things as coping mechanisms that's when it's kind of a problem another important underlying reason for this avoidance behavior is that between 1980 and 1994 the DSM which is the manual that psychiatrists and psychologists use to classify mental illnesses it you know the page numbers were doubled and normal emotions like anger sadness or anxiety were suddenly classified as a condition that needs treatment. And the people got the message. They were like, oh, okay, anger, sadness, not supposed to feel those, so let's push them down through TV, and if the TV is not enough, let's, you know, stock up on on Tylenol and everything. And, you know, that's great for, you know, certain companies, but not so great for our own happiness and well-being. And the problem with this is that we just treat, perfectly normal feelings like abnormalities, which they're not. They're just part of life. And mental toughness and resilience is part of psychological health. And even if you're someone who's very interested in the positive, you have to acknowledge that you nobody can leave, lead a life without pain and nobody can lead a life without challenges. So we have to be able to address these things confidently. And if we avoid everything that's difficult, we will do the opposite, we'll do ourselves a disservice. And we can regain more mental toughness and resilience by exposing ourselves to more risk, failure and demanding work. And I think it's up to each and every one of us to decide what that means, you know, because for me, for example, there are some things where I'm like, well, it doesn't make sense for me, for example, to wear like, Super uncomfortable clothes. Why would I do that? It, it will just annoy me the whole day long and the energy that is generated by that annoyance could be better used for something else. But if I take that logic too far and you know it goes down to, oh uh, my uh, water is you know, it's uh, one or two gra- centigrades too warm or too, too cold for, for my liking, then things can get a little bit excessive. and that's what we want to think about. Now, moving on to consumerism, it's not my goal to go on a boring consumerism is bad rampage. I I would rather like to suggest that the balance between creating and consuming is off. The balance between mindfulness and mindlessness, that is off. And that by recalibrating this, we might tip the balance towards more happy habits. The reason is that it's hard to become mindful consumers is that often... Consuming goods and entertainment patches up psychological wounds that we have. And, you know, that's kind of like saying when you're hurt, you know, like, oh, don't use a plaster. You know, like, no, that's not necessarily the point. The point is not that you don't use a plaster. The point is that you understand the behaviors that create those wounds and make sure that you can, that you can deal with them in a good way. Now... The number of ads we see every day is highly contested. It seems that the number of 5,000, which is passed around quite frequently, is exaggerated. It seems that the lowest estimates put everything from TV and online ads to billboards between 300 and 700 a day, which is still massive if you think about it. Some argue you can't consciously process all the ads and that people only remember a fraction, and that's true. But here's the kicker. You don't need to know what you were influenced by to be influenced. During my undergrad studies, I had to read a lot about subliminal processing where they flashed words or images on screens so fast that people couldn't tell what they had seen. It would be like, you know, a a hundredth of a second or something like that. They all stated they saw nothing, so they were convinced they had not seen the word, yet more often than not, whatever they saw influenced them. So for example, if the word blue was flashed, and then they had to choose between colors, they would choose blue. Or an emotion word was used like idiot, and then people got irritated without even knowing why, and reflected that irritations in the answer that they gave. So even one thing can change our behavior so in a way that we don't know. So what do you think 300 to 700 messages can do to you if you see them every day? And even if you don't pay conscious attention to them, they create a whole shady reality that is extremely real to your brain. Even if it doesn't seem real to you consciously, even if you don't know consciously that this world is there, it's there. You will start thinking stuff like, just do it or because I'm worth it. And you probably don't always connect it to the brands which, you know, which slogans you just regurgitated in your mind, you will have gut reactions based on information solely created by marketers. Now, essentially, all these messages say the same thing. Life sucks right now, but if you get this, it will change for the better. Now, how often a day are you compared, you know, are you exposed to different kinds of messages? Messages which have nothing to do with consumerism, such as, you're good enough, you have achieved things that you never gave yourself credit for, or there's a part of you that loves to be kind and help others. It's always there. Or how great and comfortable is the chair you're sitting in right now, or the sweater you're wearing right now, without having to buy anything. And even if you tried, you could possibly not manage to expose yourself 300 to 700 times to those alternative messages, right? So if you stumble upon these alternative messages 20 times, it means you're reading self-help or working on your spirituality or listening to this podcast very regularly. The more we get exposed to something, the more we like it, usually, and also the more we believe it is true, so this is a further reason why rebalancing consumerism with literally almost anything else is difficult because we're, it's so deeply entrenched in us, even if we don't consciously notice it. So what are the antidotes? What, what can we do? The radical way to work through consumerism is to become a minimalist. Now, a minimalist is someone who removes everything from their life that is not necessary. The compl- complicated things are simplified And it's basically a lifestyle that is not only about removing clutter from our life, but bringing simplicity into everything we do. Work, relationships, our schedule. So basically everything is kicked out of the calendar, so we have abundant time for things that really matter to us. Then health and information, consumption and entertainment. I have no desire to become a minimalist, but I found immense value in thinking about the ideas and applying them in areas I see fit. It has helped me throw out a lot of stuff, but also buy less, although I was never exactly someone who bought a lot of stuff. I will do a separate episode on minimalism because I think it deserves to be explored more deeply. Another alternative, another antidote to that overwhelming power of, you know, marketing messages that are floating around in your brain. Another alternative is to engage with mindful consumption. A lot of consumption is rife with guilt if we stop and think about it. We feel guilty that we don't eat clean. If we happen to know the ingredients in almost anything, chances are that there's something in there that is toxic for us, the environment, or both. Lots of products are produced under circumstances which we wouldn't support if you know, we would actually be there and watch what's happening like child labor. So most of us, me included, just suppress these things and we suppress thinking about them because we have already enough on our plate. We can't solve all these problems in the entire world, right? But instead of waking us up, this guilt creates a learned helplessness and we just get depressed and we don't, we're not in a position to change anything if we're depressed. So that's the last thing I want you to do is to like think about everything in, in all its harrowing detail for longer than you can deal with. Not because I'm against discomfort. We all have to be able to think about uncomfortable things every once in a while. But because we have to be able to understand when are we tolerating discomfort and when are we spiraling into feeling really depressed and helpless. And if we feel really depressed and helpless... Tolerating discomfort is not helpful at all. It doesn't help us do anything, actually. So what if we switch the guilt off and turn a little bit more of the enjoyment on? Now, what do I mean? Well, number one, we can dial up the gratitude. So during my week at the Buddhist monastery back at the end of November 2015, we always ate in silence. We were encouraged to think about all the people that made this plate, this, uh, this food on our plate possible. So the cooks who prepared the food, the par- farmers who had planted the food, the truck drivers who transported the food from the farmers to the market or to the grocery store, the scientists who had figured out how to conserve the food so it would not rot before it reaches us. That brings a lot of, brings a lot of good feelings and a lot of ways that we can actually appreciate what we have. And another way of appreciating what we have is by savoring things that are truly great. And that doesn't have to be anything big. Like, I have a favorite sweater. It's bright turquoise, and my friends recognize me from half a mile away when they see it. I love it, and I'm actually... I was wearing it when I was writing these notes, but I'm not wearing it right now. I like it so much that I don't need 50 other sweaters, because I'm just so excited whenever I can wear this one, even though I have owned it for at least three, if not four years. I also have a matching backpack and even a suitcase. We turn heads when we travel together, I can tell you that. Another way we can bring a little bit more enjoyment into our consumption is by spending money on things we believe in. I'm one of these weird people who actually pays for music and videos. And the reason is simple. Music is a loyal companion which has followed me everywhere in the world where no other person could follow. Some songs I have enjoyed since I'm four years old. And although lots of these folks are millionaires, and they certainly don't need my money, I'm happy to give it, because, say, Sting or Coldplay are literally always there for me. And also, there are other people who are not as famous as the artists who need to be paid, like the guy who mixes the sound, or the guy who furnishes the studio. And, of course, they were paid when they recorded the album, but if we keep getting everything for free, there will not be any money left to pay these people because the stars will always get the money, right? But not these guys. So I also feel like I'm paying for these people. I love to pay app developers as well, you know, uh, smartphone apps. So for example, especially the ones which were developed by individuals, I feel that I support them in making their dreams come true. They're able to lead a lifestyle, be it by working on the side on something they love or even paying all the bills they have with their apps. And even if the app is less than perfect, they actually got off their asses and did something, you know, and I, I acknowledge that, I like that, even if it's not perfect yet. And that alone is worth for me paying like three or four bucks. It's not like I'm paying them 80 bucks or something, That, that's just that, right? So by spending the money we have in a way that we believe is good for the people around us, and is aligned with our values, brings more enjoyment into consumption. Then one thing we can also do is simply be mindful of what we're taking in and getting exposed to. I am watching a TV net show now since 8 o'clock, or saying to yourself, I'm listening to music, how does it change how I feel? Also, we don't just consume things or products, we also consume thoughts. So, when, for example, I think about my, I don't know, my financial struggles all the time, I'm consuming that thought. And if we are mindful of that, it doesn't mean that we have to change anything. It just means like, okay, I'm acknowledging that right now i am thinking about my financial struggles or i'm watching a tv show or i'm doing this and the more we do this the more conscious we get of actually what we're doing all day long we free ourselves to take charge instead of just being inundated like some kind of zombie now another antidote to re- another antidote or way of rebalancing the power of marketing and consumerism is to think about your values, and I already touched on that when I talked about the smartphone apps, right? So if I would ask you if you would pay me to make your life really difficult in five or ten years, would you accept the offer? So why do we pay companies to screw around with our health, our relationships, and the air we need to breathe? Now, I'm not exempting myself from this. There's still stuff where it's true that I pay money for things that are probably not that good for me. When you don't think and just follow along, you have made a choice and that choice shapes the world you live in. So that's the important thing. Even if you decide to ignore all of these things, to take the comfortable and convenient road of ignoring all of these things, it still shapes the world you live in. And that's important. Presumably, you work hard for your money. So shouldn't it be spent in a way that you can lead the most fulfilling life, whatever that means to you, you know? Consider resources spent. It's not about being pro or anti-capitalism. It's about really thinking about who or what would you like to spend the most energy on? And what do you spend your energy on? What would you like to be doing? And what do you end up really doing with your time? It's not necessarily evil capitalism that is always to blame. Sometimes we spend a lot of energy to impress others or just fulfill their expectations. Another factor you might want to think about is what economists call opportunity costs. So whenever we spend our time chasing or consuming stuff, we're unable to do other things which might make us happier, healthier, or more fulfilled. This kind of thinking can be super overwhelming. If that is the case for you, just look at one little area of your life at a time. Do the TV shows I consume reflect who I am or who I want to be? What about the information you consume? Websites, podcasts, news, radio, stuff like that. Are you happy with the companies which get the majority of your money? If not, are they others which do better? When it comes to food or clothes, can you choose quality and awesomeness over throwaway stuff? This kind of thinking can trigger the very impulse we talked about in the beginning, you know, the convenience seeking, the desire to block it out. And You know, I don't exclude myself from these things. I, for example, love traveling, and I frequently take planes all over the world. This clashes with my desire to protect the environment. This can make me feel bad. Just feeling bad doesn't improve the environment, but what does? What steps can I take even if I'm not, or not yet, ready to stop flying? If I'm not ready to change anything in this area, I might as well address any of the 99 other areas of my life where I can actually make a change and I'm ready and happy to. That's also something we, we often think like, either you do this and then you're a good or principled person or you don't. But you know, if, if something is hard for you right now, and you can't grapple with it right now, instead of doing nothing, just look at what you could do. Now, another thing, another antidote, another way to rebalance your being is getting engaged with the process of creation and what I'm about to say about creatives is not necessarily scientific, but I think it's valuable enough to share. So a great way to balance our consumerism is to create things, and it doesn't really matter what it is. You can, you know, go and record your own podcast episode or organize an event, cook as opposed to just heating stuff, play an instrument, or even a stimulating conversation can be a creation. And why why advocate creating well creation is challenging which directly helps us to balance the trap of comfort and convenience you're more likely to spend time in the rewarding flow state and if you create stuff yourself you will understand how much work goes into creating anything even if it's really shitty sharing compliments and gratitude comes more naturally when you're in a state of constant entitlement, you know, when you're a creator, that comes more naturally to you than if you're in a state of constant entitlement and, you know, yell at people for not doing exactly how you imagine something should be done. If we're doing the right thing, it's interesting, it's fun. We, get a, we often get this cheap thrill by taking others down and criticizing everything and everyone and unsurprisingly, that's not exactly a rewarding way of life. The more often you create stuff, the less time you have to fall back into all these things which are not that good of us, like crawling the internet, looking for things to just infuriate you or to criticize. And here's a major reason to create things. According to the researcher Brene Brown, the single best way to actually change ourselves, to implement the things we learn in the desired way, is to create things. So, for example, if you listen to this podcast once, you may or may not hear something that is valuable to you. If you listen repeatedly and think, which is the first stage of creation, chances are that something will shift. If you take notes, your chances of moving the knowledge from passive to active recall increases. It will become more salient in your mind. If, however, you create a series of experiments which you run on yourself, you will gain information that is helpful. And should you decide to write a book or teach a class about a topic, the message will really sink in and change you even more. So by being a creator, you're not some disciplined killjoy who says no to every ounce of fun, but you tap into limitless resources of interest, fun, sharing, and more. So... Those are the antidotes. So this was a longer episode, so I thought I'll include a little summary in here. So first we talked about comfort on convenience, how we seek comfort through convenience. And the time that convenience was designed to create for us is often taken up by things which are designed to create more convenience. Consuming and creating convenience and looking out for comfort is a never-ending task. Our tolerance for discomfort steadily decreases, which in turn is related to a lowering of our psychological well-being. A way out is to allow more risk and failure back into our lives. Then we talked about consumerism and how the number of ads outnumbers probably all other messages we get every day. Without thinking about our relationship with consumerism, it controls us. Rethinking consumerism is not about saying goodbye to fun and joy, it's about aligning what's important to us with how we spend our energy and resources. This creates room for the great stuff. And the antidotes, or the ways to rebalance everything, is gratitude, savoring, mindfulness, thinking about values and what we do and don't do, and creating stuff. The main takeaway is that only you can decide what the right balance is between consumerism, creation, and intentional living. Some of you might, you know, want to become full-blown minimalists, while others will be happy to just enjoy the purchases you make or the food you have more often. But by thinking about these things, you give yourself options, as opposed to just being a cog in a well-oiled marketing machine. Now it's really important that you don't think I advocate we all become monks. For example, I love TV, and if I, if you could have turned into, you know, if you can tuned in and seen me just a couple of days ago, uh, you know, I was in Dubai, and and in Dubai I had the chance to watch the TV show Scandal, and we don't get that in Switzerland, at least not legally. And I, you know, I really looked all over the internet to find legal ways to purchase it. So I wanted, you know, I tried to just get it on Amazon Video or iTunes or anything, and it always turned out empty. I even signed up for Netflix, but even they didn't have it in Switzerland. So I got, you know, I <laughs> it was completely nuts. Like, I was like, oh my god, you! I'm not going to say what words I thought. They are too naughty, and I don't want to get an explicit tag on this, but really, it was pretty explicit. So really, it's not about me saying, oh... Either I am a monk or everybody else should become one. It's really about thinking what is right for us. That's all. Okay, so let's turn to the reviews. We have one from Cat KO711 from the USA. And she says, I really enjoy the Positive Psychology podcast. Kristen provides topics which are down-to-earth, and thought-provoking. Kristen is very genuine, and her podcasts are uplifting. Keep up the great work. Thanks a lot, Kat K. SKM House from the USA as well, and it says, I love how her topics can really open my eyes to things I never really thought about. So far, as a new listener, I have already started to look at things in a new light and perspective. Awesome podcast. Thanks so much to both of you, and to all of you who have ever reviewed the podcast, to those of you who have shared it, and if you haven't and want to become one of those folks, head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review, because you know what? Even though I read reviews, you know, every once in a while, each iTunes store is country-specific, which means that even though you hear me reading out reviews, It's perfectly possible that from your country, let's say in Ireland, there's not a single one left. So the good people of Ireland or any other country that doesn't have any reviews yet will have great difficulty in finding it. So go and head over to your local iTunes store and leave a review. Thanks very much. Now, I've introduced Audible as a sponsor not that long ago and it seems you guys are a little bit hesitant I don't know what it is, and I get it. Like, I don't like signing up for things I don't know what I don't get, you know, what I will get, what I won't get. Now, the thing is that I really know as a fact that you can just try it out and immediately cancel afterwards. You can do that, and they will actually let you keep the audiobook, so you're not even doing anything illegal. So if you want an audiobook, just head over to strengthsphoenix.com audible and get it, you know. There's really literally no risk, but since you like listening to stuff, I'm pretty sure you might actually enjoy Audible, because as much as I love podcasts, and I love podcasts big time, I've been a fan and listener since 2006 or 2007, but audiobooks are a great, great way to deepen our knowledge, not just to kind of get, get, you know, the gist, but to actually deepen our knowledge about just about anything, so... Audible is a great way to listen to content that you care about. Or if you're into fiction, they also have tons of fiction. Who doesn't like a story or anything in a while? And considering that we just talked about distractions, the irony is not lost on me. So anyway, give it a try. If you give it a try, you don't like it, you just cancel the membership and that's it. You keep the audiobook and everything is good. And if you actually like it, like I do, and I've been a customer f- with Audible with different stores in Audible, actually, UK and USA and different ones for years and years and years. So try it on strengthsphoenix.com Audible. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at kristen at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengthsphoenix.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yoghurt.